going on. I mean, a real war going on. I'm not talking about figuratively. I'm not talking about in realms that you're not aware of. Like, there's a real war going on. It's inside, not just inside of this building, but it's inside of your bodies. Because right now, your body is trying to tell your brain, what are you doing? Why are you here? It's like 8.40 in the morning. We don't normally start until 9 o'clock. And your brain is trying to, to battle back unconvincingly and to tell your body, no, 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 it's actually daylight savings time. And your body says, daylight what? I don't care. And your brain says, no, 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 let me tell you about the history of daylight savings times, how back in 1895, a scientist by the name of George Hudson said that, you know what, uh, we need to have a two-hour jump uh, in the spring, and then a two-hour setback. And the brain is trying, but it's failing. And the body says, well, I guess one hour is better than two, isn't it? So we ended up having daylight saving time, so there is a war going on. But let me say this. Wake up! <laughs> now that I have everybody's attention... And your body does understand that it's going to have to get used to this for about six months. I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to come and worship and serve God. And I want you to be reminded that while we are here to worship, we are going to leave this place to worship. Because it takes place everywhere that we go. Now, I want to take just a moment and remind you why it's so important that we're awake this morning. Not for me. We have a lot going on. Afterwards, we're going to have a class. And after that, we're going to have a special opportunity for you uh, in mass uh, to go visit Lee Regional Medical Center just a few miles north of us. And we have with us Tim Thornhill. He is the CEO, and he brought uh, one of his sons with him. He has several children and a bride, and they have come here to remind us and invite us to join him for lunch uh, at the cafeteria, uh, immediately following classes, we are going to head that way. He has decided that he is going to foot the bill and pay for our lunch. So thank you so much for that. We, we really appreciate that. I hope you understand that our worship and our spirituality uh, is involved in every aspect of our life. And we can't call ourselves Christians and people who love the Lord on Sunday, but not be willing to, to reach out and try to serve the community. So, again, after classes, we're all going to head over to the cafeteria. We're going to have an opportunity to be fed by the wonderful lunch staff there. Uh, and then we're going to get to listen to some of the things that are taking place at the hospital. And then my favorite part of it is that after that's all said and done, after they blessed us with food uh, and given us some information, uh, we said, hey, uh, we want to try to bless you back. So we have some cookie trays, uh, and we're going to go around to the different nurses' stations, uh, and we're going to hand them some cookies uh, and tell them, remind them that, that we love them and that we're praying for them. And so I hope that you come be a part of that. Whatever your lunch plans are, put the roast back in the fridge. Uh, let, let roses uh, uh, go for another week uh, and come join us uh, for that. Well, we made it. I know you didn't think it would happen. Honestly, I didn't think it would happen. I never thought that this day would come. But here I am, 
six years since I showed up and you hadn't gotten rid of me yet. And it's been a rough ride. I'm, I'm not going to kid with you. It's been tough. Within the first day that I was here, I stood up and I said, I am glad to be here in Hobbs, Texas. Yeah, I said it. I did it. Which, by the way, just fact checking here, there is a Hobbs, Texas. And I've been there, but it's not here. But I am. I'm still here after six years. It was rough. We survived the first Sunday of me calling it Texas. We survived several Sundays later when I thought it would be a good idea to take off some of my clothes during the sermon. I don't know how we made it through it. But somehow, I've dodged some bullets. I'm still here. It was especially rough when I decided to do a series. And in that series, I decided to preach on a few different things. We talked about giving and fasting and divorce and pornography well why in the world would a new young preacher stand up in front of you and talk about those issues that are really kind of divisive and really touchy well probably because I was young and didn't know any better but the other part was, is we had embarked on a rather long series on three chapters in Matthew that we called the Sermon on the Mount. Those were just a few of the topics that we covered during that first year that I was here. And the reason why we talked about those difficult topics is because they were in the Bible and when we got to them, we just started reading and studying about them. And so that's where we land this morning, in the book of Nahum. What do we know about the book of Nahum? And maybe the bigger question, the question that I've honestly struggled with and wrestled with for the last few days as I've been studying this is, why in the world is this book even in the Bible? Why did we have to have 39 books in the Old Testament? We could have had 38, 65 total books. That's a better number than 66, right? Why is it in here? It's connected with Nineveh? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But man, this, there is just almost nothing in this book that you would say, you know what, I want to write this down and memorize it. Most people don't say, hey, let me quote from Nahum. We know very little about the prophet Nahum. And everything he seems to say is just almost just spewing out venom. Listen to this. This is the word of the Lord. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of a vision from Nahum the Elkishite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind in the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. 
Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Wow. This is the first part of one chapter, and the story continues all throughout Nahum. It is just, God is angry, God is mad. I mean, I just, I feel like I'm in the 50s, and I should be pounding the pulpit as I say this. Like, what is going on? And, and Jennifer and I had lots of conversations, especially early on in the week. I said, I don't, I don't know what to do with Nahum. I'm, I'm, I really don't understand why God said, you know what, I want this in here. And I thought, well, okay, there's really only one thing. The one thing we can get from Nahum is that, that God is a God of justice. And he's a jealous God. And he's a God who gets angry. Because you notice in there, it does not say God does not get angry. It says he is what? Slow to anger. So I thought, here we go. I don't really like to do this, but I'm going to have to. I'm just going to have to stand up and yell at you for the next 25 minutes and say, God is mad because we're doing it all wrong. Bang the pulpit. And that's part of the story. That's part of Nahum. And you say, oh, you know, we, we have a gracious God. We do. But can we talk for just a minute? Can you imagine you go on vacation for a few days, and while you're gone on vacation, your spouse chooses to have an affair, and it's found out all over the town, and you come home, and you found out that your wife is unfaithful to you, your husband is unfaithful to you? What do you say? Hey, I'm glad you picked him. He's a good-looking guy. He's a whole lot smarter than me. Oh, no, no, she's really pretty. Don't get rid of her. Keep her around. You think that's the conversation you're going to have with your wife after she cheats on you? Do you think you're going to be a little upset? You better be. You better be heartbroken that the one that you love has cheated on you. And has broken your trust. Is it any different with God? Do you think God has a right to be angry and broken hearted when the one that he loves chases after someone or something else? I can't even begin to describe the feelings I would have if I came home to learn that my wife had been unfaithful to me, anger would be one of the many emotions that I would feel. And we have a God who is madly in love with you. And He has given everything to draw you into a relationship. And in the same way that there are consequences when a spouse is unfaithful to their spouse is the same way that there are consequences when we choose not to follow the one who we love and the one who loves us.
And so for the longest time, I thought, well, there's, there's Nahum. Just get ready. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have calluses on my hands by the time I get through, through banging on the pulpit and saying, you know, hell, fire, and damnation, that's all we have. And I don't, I don't want to take away from that. Some of you who have grown up in the church, you've heard a lot of that, and we've kind of stepped away from it. I'm not going to tell you that there's not judgment. I'm not going to lie to you and say we don't have a jealous God. We do. That's not the only attribute of our God. But that's one of them. And so some of you, as you read this, you say, this is really, really hard. I don't know what to do with this. But there's a second part of Nahum that I think we need to look at. His vengeance is for those who choose not to follow Him. But those who choose to follow Him, it says this, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble, verse 7. He cares for those who trust in Him. But with an overwhelming flood, He will make an end to Nineveh. Part of the story of Nahum says, be faithful to God. And if you don't, there are consequences to that. Men, if you choose to be unfaithful to your wife, don't be surprised when she kicks you out and she changes the locks. Those of you who profess to follow Jesus, don't be surprised if you cheat on Him and follow other people and other things and reach for a door and find it locked. There is no place in the kingdom to put God second. God makes no bones about it. I am number one, he says. No one and no thing should ever, ever, ever come before me. I don't care if you think it's good or bad. I don't care if it will give you a scholarship or a medal or a promotion or a big house. I don't care if it makes you happy. If it comes before me then you have committed idolatry. God's very clear about this. But he also says, for those who follow me, no, we're not perfect, no, we don't always get it right, but he says, I have compassion and love for you. And my mercy will be seen. As I call your name. But this wasn't the case for the people who would be the recipients of God's wrath. Okay, so what do we know about Nahum? Louise said something already. Who is it written to? Nineveh. We've heard of Nineveh. In fact, most people don't associate Nahum and Nineveh. When they think of Nineveh, what do they think? Jonah. And when they think of Jonah, they think of... Oh, don't lie now. You know what you're thinking. The big fish. We looked at this a few weeks ago, so I'll be quick in the summary. Jonah is upset because God does not turn Nineveh into a big grease stain in the middle of the desert. 
Nineveh will someday, at, in the time of Nahum, is going to be the capital of Assyria. Assyria is full of terrible, terrible, terrible people. They do terrible things. In fact, Nahum's going to talk about that. When they fall, everyone who hears of Nineveh's demise will clap their hands. Because who has not felt their violence? So one, we know this. Nahum is a reminder that we have a jealous God. And when we choose not to put him first, there are consequences. The second thing we learn about Nahum is that those who choose to follow God will find mercy even if it's not deserved. But the third thing is this, and we have to look at it historically to uncover this little gem, is that Nahum is written to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were a terrible group of people and Jonah was sent by God to prophesy to them. He walks in and he says, you're going to die. And they changed their hearts. And they fast. And their animals fast. And they put on sackcloth. And their animals put on sackcloth. Maybe they didn't choose to do that, but their owners, according to the king, was to put every person and animal in sackcloth. And God relented. And Jonah was furious. He was so mad, he sits up on a hill and he's waiting for God to kill these people and God doesn't. And he gets really upset. And what most people would consider a compliment, Jonah uses as an accusation. He says, God, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh in the first place. Because you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love. That's not how it should have been quoted when it was written in Psalms. It was more poetic. It was more of a, a compliment rather than a criticism. But think about this. Jonah goes and he speaks to Nineveh. And they repent. And Jonah's mad. God, why didn't you do this? They deserve to die. Now I want to die. But God is just. About a hundred years later, after Jonah prophesies, Nahum is going to go back to Nineveh. But this time, there's no more second chances. And God says, I was kind to you. And this is how you respond. Trust that God has a plan. Jonah couldn't see it. Jonah was furious. He asked God to take his life because God wasn't doing what he wanted him to do. But God is faithful. 
And I don't know how long that may be for the struggle that's going on in your life. For Jonah, it would be another hundred years before God would hear him and answer him. But God is faithful and he keeps his promises. And you can read Nahum without the history and you could say, man, God's an angry God. He gave them a century to follow him over and over again. And it, it came to a point where God was so tired of the violence and the injustice that had been done in Assyria. And he said, you will not sacrifice any more children for other gods. I will not allow this to happen. I did not create you to kill people and to destroy people and to abuse people. That's not what I'm going to allow in my world. And he's going to put an end to it. Nahum. It's a story about a God who is jealous for you. It's a story about mercy being extended to those who choose to follow Him. And it's a story of a God who remains faithful. And for those of you who find yourselves in a tough time right now and you say, God, why is this happening? Why won't you relent? Just trust that God has a plan. And I'm thankful that we serve a God who doles out mercy far beyond what we deserve. Someone once said that Scripture becomes real when it afflicts the comfortable and it comforts the afflicted. And this is the story of Nahum. For the Ninevites, they had become comfortable and God was about to afflict them. For a tiny little nation of Judah that was about to be destroyed by Assyria, they found comfort because they were afflicted. I don't know where you sit this morning. Maybe hearing the story of Nahum pricks your heart. Maybe it convicts you and helps you realize that you do in fact serve a jealous God and you haven't been as faithful to Him as you should be. May this passage afflict you. May it call you and draw you back to the one who loves you. And for those of you who are going through a season of affliction and you're seeing those around you prosper, those who don't care about God or they make fun of Him and they make fun of you, take comfort in knowing that He's going to be merciful to you. But for all of us, don't forget, God is faithful. In a hundred years from now, God will be faithful. In a hundred years from that, He's faithful again. And there's going to come a time 
where we no longer talk about minutes or days or weeks or years. We will just be in the presence of faithful forever. If that's not where you are in your life, I want to encourage you, start today for the the remaining days, weeks, months, years in your life. Come back to a God who is loving and merciful and jealous. A God who's jealous for you. Come back to Him. Redevote your life to Him. If you've never decided that you want to enter into a covenant with Him, I want to encourage you this morning to choose to give up the life you're living, to be buried and to be raised again with the gift of the Holy Spirit and allow your life to be completely changed because of His love to you. If we can help you in any way, if we can serve you, if we can pray for you, please come this morning as we stand and sing.